MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. Today, the woman who designed Florida's COVID dashboard is removed from her position as states continue to hide the truth in favor of reopening. Biden names Julie Chavez Rodriguez to shore up support among Latinx voters. Trump pulls the National Guard one day before they can claim benefits. Pompeo backs off his Wuhan lab enormous evidence claim. Now that Congress demands proof, a COVID outbreak in Arkansas is linked to church services. Flynn's attorneys file a motion to have Judge Sullivan removed from his case and carbon emissions have dropped 17% globally amid the pandemic. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am great. I feel like we haven't done an A block in a while. Yeah, I did. I recorded mine on my own, I guess, a couple times. Good to be with you. Yes, yes. If I caught that intro headline correctly, they're trying to get Sullivan off the case? Yeah. God <laughs> they sure damn are. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say he's biased and, uh, you know, it's same, same, same. Uh, I I guess we could and should have seen this coming, uh, but I mean, it's with, and I'll talk a little bit more about it uh, later, but it's, it's, this is the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and that isn't probably going to go well for him. Yeah. So. Go well for, for Sullivan. Or go well for, for Flynn. For, oh, got it, got it. Okay. Oh, his lawyers are yeah. asking for that. It's not a Justice Department thing. Right. Oh, got it, got it. Cool. All right. Well. Although I wouldn't be surprised if Department of Justice wrote an amicus brief backing up Flynn's lawyers' allegations of Sullivan being somehow biased. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a lot more insane to know that it's just Flynn's team currently, though. I guess that is a lot less surprising. <laughs> yeah. So something funny, like I was today, I was driving, I went to, I got my car. First of all, I haven't put gas in my car since before, since mm-hmm. the before times, because, <laughs> <laughs> because the last time I put gas in my car, I didn't wear a glove or anything. So we weren't, so it was prior to March 17th. Right. And I still have like half a tank, but I'm, dri- I'm driving to go to, I usually walk to my local coffee place and everybody there is cool. We all wear masks. Everybody socially distances. Everyone stays six feet apart and uh, everyone's very cool. But like, I just didn't feel like walking today. So I drove there and on the way I was listening to NPR and a traffic report came on and it was just kind of funny. I mean, I appreciate, look, there could be some sort of traffic accident, some emergency, uh, and we need to have our traffic uh, reporters. I understand that. But just like because nobody's driving right now, it's like they're really trying to find something to report on. It must have been what it was like to try to fill an hour-long news show about scandals like during the Obama administration. Yeah. He he was just stretching it so hard. He was like, uh, like I five interchange to the ninety four. There's a pillow on the shoulder, so watch out for that. And five south through Camp Pendleton has some cars on it, and we have a sig alert in the South Bay because there's a student driver on the fifty four eastbound, <laughs> and that's that's the NPR traffic report. Back to you, Gail. And it was just really funny, like trying hearing him try to come up with stuff. You know, I love that. 
I prefer that over what they used to be like. Very depressing. A bunch of fatal crashes oh, all the time on the roads. Fatal crashes and just gridlock. Yep. 100%. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of that, you know, like I said in, in the good news block, we're going to cover cover this, but carbon emissions have dropped by 17%. So globally. So that, that's cool. Yeah. Very. Uh, it's not interesting, I guess. I mean, it is interesting, but even more than interesting, it's just something we would have never even remotely been able to see you know the environment changed that quickly there's no other way yeah and that drastically yeah 100 percent. and then all these like dudes like trump supporter maga guys are all angry that greta thunberg is doing a town hall about coronavirus with anderson cooper and they're like, what the hell is she doing there but they're cool with the M- the major league baseball commissioner being on it but <laughs> but you know greta Greta Thunberg is a problem. Like, I don't understand why they're afraid of a 16-year-old, but whatever. I wonder if there's any sort of, I mean, if, I feel like I may have said this before on one of our podcasts, but yeah, if they, if they, if the world could come together and figure out a way to just like shut down semi or, or at least like have like a teleworking month every once in a while or just some kind of initiative, these other environmental initiatives that I think we could have after seeing what the effects are of not traveling as much. Yeah, yeah, I think we did talk about that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the blackout we had in San Diego like six or seven years ago when the, no one had electricity in the city. And so we all just sort of met up at pubs and, and stuff and drank the beer and because it was going to go bad and <laughs> just hung out and like talked to each other with our mouths. It was great. Yeah, totally. And we're like, we should have a mandatory blackout like every year or something, so... All right, well, we have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, Jordan, what do you have for us today? I got a few stories. First one I'm going to start with is Mnuchin testifying to the Senate today. Uh, It was not only Mnuchin, it was also Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, and they were there to give an update by testimony about the CARES Act, this Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. That's uh, a $2.2 trillion federal package, and the committee they were talking to was the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, and it was via video conference, and they talked about a bunch of things. Uh, one of the things they talked about was Mnuchin said that he's open to discussing easing some of the spending rules that currently are putting a lot of limits on the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program, for small businesses. Uh, He said that two lending programs will be ready to launch by the end of May as well. And also it was reiterated that the White House signaled this week um, it's it's planning on relaxing some of the Paycheck Protection Program rules. And so two of the rules and things that caused some, some uproar was the fact that businesses have to spend a bulk of their funds from the program in eight weeks in order to have their loan and its 1% interest charge forgiven. And the second one is businesses must spend 75% of their Paycheck Protection Program loan on worker pay versus other costs like rent. So those are a couple of the rules that are going to be looked at. Uh, I didn't even know that those guidelines existed. And that how do you, mm. how do you feel about that? saying that you can only use it on worker pay and you can't use it on something like rent. Well, um, I, I would agree with it if they were actually p- 
providing better assistance to people to pay their rent and buy their food and pay their mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I I feel like if you're going to get a small business loan, you should be able to spend it on any business expense. Uh, but I do understand the, you know, the, the 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 reason they're going with it is so people keep people on the payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, so that people can keep their jobs, but it's only for two months, and it that doesn't help like with any of the other bills, and and also a lot of people working from home that can't afford their home rent. Like it's just there's just not enough, there's just not enough stimulus to go around. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard too because assuming this money is going to a company that is the company we would like it to go to, aka a small business. Assuming it's going to them, we don't want them to shut down. And if they can't pay their rent, then they have to shut down. There's not a lot of forgiveness there, really, for anybody. So striking some balance between them having enough aid to literally stay open, because if they don't stay open, then all those people that they're employed that that, that they employ are gonna be out of work too. So it's like, yeah, if you've got no building to go to work in, mm-hmm. then how do you pay people to work? Right, it's weird. Yeah, exactly. But all I know is that the people in my life that need assistance from these kinds of programs are unable to get it currently, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and the money is, you know, getting dried up very quickly, apparently. Like, I heard a story of somebody where, you know, they were checking back every day, and they were like, just wait, just wait, just wait, and then one of the days they checked back, and they were like, oh, you're too late. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> people are doing... <laughs> what they were told to do being very diligent and it just seems like it's a situation where so many people can't win and uh, ultimately I hope that the things they address are going to address that um there was also some some talk about the 500 billion dollar lending program run by the federal reserve that's gone largely just untapped basically Uh, that's according to a report that came out Monday night and um basically you know it's another instance kind of of us having resources or seemingly having resources and them not being deployed to me it's a bit reminiscent of the whole you know ppe issue and or like yeah well i mean here we are with 500 billion dollars sitting there for corporations and millionaires Mm -hmm. and it's not going out to them because they don't fucking need it Mm -hmm. and and then here we have the middle class who needs it and they're not getting any of it. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's another wealth inequality situation. Now we have the same thing happening with the stimulus where the, you know, the, the working class and the middle class need this money to eat and to pay rent. Meanwhile, the the corporations and CEOs are so, you know, they're so, they have so much glut. They have this glut of cash that they're like, we don't really need your 500 billion at the moment, yeah. but you know, we'll let you know when we do. It's like, fuck off. I wasn't familiar enough with the funding. I didn't know that it was like mostly targeted towards super wealthy businesses. Yeah. The, the, the PPP is for small, small businesses, businesses yeah. supposedly. Right. The stimulus checks are for working class and middle class people uh-huh. for us and then uh, people who make $75,000 a year or less or 150,000 uh, or less as a couple and then the 500 billion through the treasury is for big corporations airlines uh, oil companies they're getting millions blah, you know shit like that big business Got it. big stuff that keeps the stock market afloat but right now the fed is printing money for them uh, and selling paper for them at zero interest so they don't 
need it. And the, it's the, the, the stock market is still doing really well. I mean, it's like the grossest imbalance of, you know, wealth disparateness, I guess, that I've ever, ever seen. Like, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting because it's kind of like practice what you preach. You always talk about trickle-down economics and if these big companies spend money and are pumping it into the economy, then that's going to be better for everyone. Why aren't they doing that then? If the money exists, do they... Well, yeah, like, I'm surprised. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I don't understand enough about the situation with that fund, but I don't understand why it's not being used. I'll need to... Working Americans sure could use it. Yeah. But the Republicans wanted to reserve it for the wealthy, so yeah. we can't touch that. Ah, well, nice. Um... <laughs> Mnuchin, he said that he was willing to talk about extending the June 30th spending deadline on that uh, PP program. But he said that for that change to happen, it's going to have to happen by way of an act of Congress and not the Treasury Department. So that sounds, (laughs) I mean, is that true? I don't know. See, all this shit, I don't fucking know what's true. I don't know if they're just saying it or if that's really how it's supposed to go or if it's like, they're just selectively choosing to recognize Congress's role currently, whereas in other decisions before, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to do this and see if we can get away with doing it. They're saying Congress needs to approve which part of it? Uh, the talking about extending the June 30th spending deadline for the PPP. He's saying that change would have to happen from Congress and not the Treasury Department. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how the law is written. If Congress put in there that, you know, we have the sole discretion to change that date, um, then they have to do it. If they put in there that the Treasury has discretion to change that date, then the Treasury can do it. If they didn't mention it, um, then probably it would default to to Congress since they write the laws and amend them. Uh, But I'm assuming it would just take uh, like some sort of... um, you know, unanimous consent amendment to the law. Yeah, I'm wondering, they must have not put any language in it about that then. Otherwise, I don't see why Congress would even be asking him that question if they already knew the answer, that they were going to have to be the ones that extended that or be asking him questions about extending something that he didn't have any, you know, power to extend, basically. But Mm. who knows? Um, Another couple things that happened, Warren in, in the testimony she called on CEOs to be held personally accountable if their companies tap the CARES Act funds that they're not supposed to be eligible to use. Uh, it was also revealed by Mnuchin. He said more than 90% of stimulus checks for taxpayers have been issued, he says, which is interesting. Hmm. I know a lot of people that haven't gotten theirs yet, and I know a lot of people that did get them too, but I still know some people that didn't get them. So, uh, Mnuchin also said that the... Treasury has distributed nearly $1 trillion in stimulus aid so far. Uh, and then just a closing thing on this story from Jerome Powell. He said he thinks the economy is going to take until the end of 2021 to fully recover. That seems like a very conservative estimate. I feel like it's going to take a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's 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 a lot less conservative than Trump's estimate, which is third quarter. By fourth quarter, we'll be <laughs> roaring again. So I mean, compared to not doing anything, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but definitely not fixed. It's not going to... This is going yeah. is, is to be so devastating for so long. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped almost 400 points by a close close of day and I, I'm wondering if that's because of uh, what Jerome Powell said. Mm-hmm. 
yeah i wonder uh so that story that's story one <laughs> that story there's my brain is all over the place today i'm like working on i've worked on five million projects just in like 30 minute bursts so my brain is having a very hard time focusing on one thing for longer than like it's like all right time to switch you've already put in your half hour on this topic let's let's hurry it up gotta start jazzercising uh okay my next story is (laughs) my next story is coming out from uh Pompeo, Pompeo, like AG mentioned in the beginning, he's starting to back away from that theory that he and Trump were peddling that the coronavirus pandemic originated in a lab in Wuhan, China. Uh, He said in an interview with Breitbart that came out on Saturday that, quote, we know it began in Wuhan, but we don't know from where or from whom, and those are important things. We have repeatedly asked to have teams go in to assist them in identifying where the virus originated, end quote. But this is a huge, huge difference from what he's been saying for weeks, really, saying that the virus originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and he even said in an interview earlier this month that there was enormous evidence and a significant amount of evidence that this was the case, but now he is admitting that he can't be certain of that, and that that was the origin, and, and that the evidence um, that it came from the Wuhan lab, or at least the vicinity of the Wuhan lab, could be wrong. Yeah, and he this is typical, right? They'll come out and say a lie and then they'll go behind the scenes and try to make it true. And then when they're unable to make it true, they have to come out and lube the truth. They have to say, oh, it's not exactly what I meant or whatever the fuck. I mean, Trump just did it with the hydroxychloroquine. I've been taking it for a week and a half. And then he and then that's a lie. So he has to go run to his doctor and say, hey, can you write me a note that says I've been taking it for a week and a half? It's like... It's just the way they operate. They just retroactively have to crime in the past. It's just they backdate their crimes. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, My final story, Trump has pissed off WHO yet again, and he is getting fired back at because of that freak out. Um, Basically, on Monday, he wrote a letter a four-page letter, and in it, to the WHO, he threatened to permanently cut off all funding to the WHO from the U.S. unless it committed to, quote, major substantive improvements uh, within 30 days. In one month, there needs to be huge improvements or else they're going to cut the funding. And, of course, he can't do that without congressional approval, I believe, if my understanding is correct. So I think these these are more or less empty threats, but he decided to escalate the fight anyways for no fucking reason. I don't know if, like, why would you do that? Did nobody advise him that that's a completely empty threat? It worked for him with Ukraine, so... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, he doesn't think anything's going to happen to him, and the election is so close that he could be right, you know, so... I mean, and this is their whole this is their whole reelection strategy is to is to blame China is to take the blame for the shit response to coronavirus off of, of the Trump administration and put it squarely on the World Health Organization in China. Yeah. So it, they, they even put it out in a memo to to all their Republican candidates. Talk about China. Right. So. I mean, 
I kind of mentioned this yesterday, but I, I think it is 100% reasonable that China be held accountable in whatever way is possible for fucking up their response and intentionally fucking up other people's ability to have a better response. 100% it's been corroborated by the news sources that we trust, you know, as a podcast. Uh, and and I don't think that anybody that's that trusts those sources, basically, I guess, would think otherwise. However, that doesn't mean the whole thing is China's fault. They fucked up so much in the in the ways that they could have acted better to also prevent people from dying. So to try to do the look over here pebble to China right now is <laughs> is, is just so it's it's completely devoid of any sort of self-awareness which makes it infuriating, you know, for people that would like to see investigations that are independent occur when the timing is right because you know even the members you know in that organization agree that that when the timing is right like i said those sorts of investigations do need to happen to look into the origin of the pandemic and and so hey how everything was handled and everything but not they're not going to do it because donald trump threatened them and said they have to do it within a month and because china is the the biggest enemy and it's all china's fault that's not how you're going to get that done either it's it's just incredibly unpersuasive no and and when i spoke to uh i believe it was frank fagluzzi um former assistant director to the fbi for counterintelligence he called it the china trap that it, this is by design uh politically it's actually pretty clever on behalf of the republicans because they're gonna say uh that you know he he's going after China and it's all China's fault. And then the Democrats are going to say, oh, let's wait a second here. And then he's going to shoot back with, oh, you're on China's side. You're taking China's side over the United States. And that's that's the China right. trap. And so I think that's just what we right. have to look forward to in this election cycle. Totally. And I was using WHO and China basically interchangeably in this reporting because that's really the point is there he's calling for the investigation into WHO's response. But we know that that really means China in this whole theory, conspiracy theory that WHO and China are working together on all of this and throw in the fucking Bill Gates theory into there. <laughs> and, and that's like largely the base of Trump supporters when you talk, get them talking about this. That's kind of what they're peddling currently. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's just uh, it's shitty. But yep. China, Russia and the EU, they gave Trump some shit for for you know what they what they say is heated rhetoric and they also acknowledge the need to review WHO's response as the virus spread from China to the rest of the world so they're they're still going to do it just not on Trump's terms and and not in the thick of all of that rhetoric yeah well that makes sense and and it does need to be investigated uh but right you know i think right now everyone's just trying to focus on on mitigation uh and preventing the outbreak from getting worse and trying to flatten right. the curve so we can prevent a second wave so exactly all right well thank you thank you very much for that reporting um i will see you again in the second half of the show for the good news and quarantine confessions so i appreciate that everybody stick around we have more headlines after the break so stay with us after the 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. If you're looking to reduce unnecessary trips out, which I definitely am, and you're trying to avoid sold-out grocery stores during these quarantine days, I recommend trying Sunbasket. It's a perfect and tasty solution for the times we're living in. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and convenient, with everything pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook, which is great for me because I'm terrible at cooking, but in the stuff that I make from Sunbasket always ends up being perfect. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week, they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from, uh, and you can order from any recipes across their menu and skip a week when you need to or double up if you have a favorite. It's simple and easy with no gotchas. It's just all straightforward and transparent. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety. They are reinforcing strict adherence to their existing standard operating procedures and increasing sanitation frequency in their distribution centers to help protect you and your family. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, thanks again to Jordan for those incredible updates. We'll have her back at the end of the show for good news and quarantine confessions. Don't miss it. Uh, but we got some more headlines for you. Yesterday, uh, I talked about Georgia faking its graph depicting new cases by putting the dates in the wrong order, right? They put an April date in between two May dates to look like they were flattening their curve when it's actually going up. And I also talked about Arizona hiding nursing home numbers because they don't want to damage the business. And today we have a report from Florida, again, from 12 News and Florida Today in Tallahassee. As Florida starts to reopen, the architect and manager of Florida's COVID-19 dashboard has announced she's been removed from her position. Rebecca Jones is her name, and she said in an email to CBS 12 News that her removal was not voluntary and that she was removed from her position because she was ordered to censor some data but refused to manually change the dashboard to simply drum up support for the plan to reopen the state. Jones made the announcement May 5th in a farewell email to researchers and other members of the public who had signed up to receive updates on the data portal. She said that for, quote, reasons beyond my division's control, uh, unquote, her office is no longer managing the dashboard, no longer involved in its uh, publication, no longer fixing errors, no longer answering questions. Um, so that's the end of that. The dashboard was originally created by a team of Florida Department and, uh, of Health data scientists and public health officers. That were that that group was led by Rebecca Jones. It was praised by the White House staffers for its accessibility, but over the past few weeks, it crashed and went offline. Data disappeared with no explanation, and access to the underlying data became difficult to retrieve. The Florida Department of Health has not returned requests for comment. And from the Hill today, the more than forty thousand National Guard members deployed to states to help in coronavirus relief may end up one day short of qualifying for federal benefits under the post-9-11 GI Bill. And that's once President Trump's executive order deploying them expires on June 24th. An official with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, said in an interagency call on May 12th, reported by Politico, that the Guardsmen will face a hard stop on June 24th to prevent them from reaching their 90 days of duty credit, which is needed to qualify for early retirement and education benefits under the GI Bill. So deployed in late March, on June 24th, most will hit 89 days. National Guard members must be enlisted for 20 years to qualify for a pension at age 60, 
But every 90 days served in a federal emergency, they are able to speed up retirement by three months and qualify for reduction tuition uh, at, at public universities. The guardsmen have helped states with medical tasks in conducting elections. The FEMA official noted the removal of the guardsmen, while some states are still shorthanded, would require delicate unified messaging. Quote, we would greatly benefit from unified messaging regarding the conclusion of their services prior to hitting the 90-day mark and the retirement benefit implications associated with it. That's according to the audio of that call obtained by Politico. We have to be real careful when we fuck these men and women over, is what they're saying. FEMA did not respond to a request for comment uh, when The Hill contacted them. And we know Trump has a history of pulling people out of their jobs at the last minute to avoid paying them pensions. Hello, Andrew McCabe. And from the Detroit Free Press, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said Tuesday, all of Michigan's 7.7 million registered voters will be mailed absentee ballot applications so they can take part in elections in August and November without the risk of in-person voting if they choose to do so. Benson, uh, in a move likely to anger some Republicans and potentially lead to a court battle, it totally will, said the threat posed by the spread of coronavirus, which has already killed 4,915 Michiganders since March, but has been on the decline in recent weeks, is still too great to consider having people go en masse to the polls to vote in the August 4th and November 3rd elections. Benson is a Democrat, worth mentioning. Quote, by mailing applications, we have ensured that no Michigander has to choose between their health and their right to vote. Benson said she noted that in 50 local elections held across the state on May 5th, turnout was up significantly from other years and that the vast majority of voters cast absentee ballots by mail or through a drop box. We know from the elections that took place this month that during a pandemic, Michiganders want to safely vote. But some Republicans, including Donald Trump, who won Michigan by less than two-tenths of one percent of the vote four years ago and is up for re-election, obviously, in November, these Republicans have argued against widespread voting by mail. On April, uh, April 8th, we know that Trump posted on Twitter, Republicans should fight very hard when it comes to statewide mail-in voting. Democrats are clamoring for it. Tremendous potential for voter fraud. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work out well for Republicans. I know for what fucking reason. When people vote, no one votes for you. But there's no indication of widespread fraud at all involving mail-in ballots. And many Democrats have argued that Republicans oppose it only because it makes it easier for Democratic supporters to vote. And that's totally true. Meanwhile... Several commentators have noted that Trump himself has voted absentee in New York. He voted by mail where he used to live. And this year in Florida, he did too, where he officially lives now. So Michigan holds its uh, primary uh, election August 4th. Uh, and th that's not just for president. Uh, and the national, obviously, general election is November 3rd. We've known that for a while. And from NBC News in Washington, Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, Joe Biden, has named Julie Chavez Rodriguez, that's the granddaughter of the late farm worker union leader Cesar Chavez, to shore up his support among Latinx voters. And he, you know, uh, I think that this is a great choice. Um, Chavez Rodriguez, who will be a senior advisor, will be the highest ranking uh, Latina on the campaign, as Biden's team told uh, Noticias Telemundo in a Spanish language exclusive on Tuesday. And among her objectives will be to strengthen operations in key states and join efforts with related coalitions. Chavez Rodriguez was the co-director of the presidential campaign of Senator Kamala Harris. And she previously worked in the White House for Barack Obama as deputy director of political engagement. 
With her arrival on the Biden team, Chavez Rodriguez joins Cristobal Alex from president of the Latino Victory Fund, who is the senior advisor for Hispanic Affairs. And without specifying an amount, the Biden campaign said it will focus resources on swing states like Florida and Arizona, which will be key in the November 3rd elections, as well as in states with a growing Latinx population like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. The strategy responds to criticism that Biden allegedly has not done enough to win over Hispanic voters, which the Census Bureau said exceeds 60 million. Um, so that's a pretty big thing there. Uh, and I think she'll do an outstanding job. And from Axios today, 35 of the 92 people who attended services at rural Arkansas church from March 6 to 11, that's uh, 38 percent of them have tested positive for coronavirus. And they have three have died. And that's according to a case study released Tuesday by the Centers for Disease Control. Um, Places of worship continue to be a problem for controlling the widespread transmission of the coronavirus, especially at some churches and local government officials push to loosen restrictions on religious gatherings. They're doing that. They're saying, you know, open up the churches and they're going to court saying it infringes on religious freedom. Contact tracing found that an additional 26 people were infected after interacting with attendees of the church and one person from that group died. Uh, Most cases were aged 19 and older. Both the pastor and his wife developed coronavirus symptoms and closed the church indefinitely on March 12th. So outside of the public service announcements on hygiene and social distancing, the Centers for Disease Control has largely left guidance on whether to reopen places of worship to the states. Uh, In Arkansas, the state banned indoor gatherings of more than 10 people but exempted religious services. And here we have an outbreak. Four people dead. Almost 200 people are being quarantined after a possible cluster in California was identified, after people attended a church service on Mother's Day. Uh, Kentucky and Kansas both had federal court rulings against their governor's orders to temporarily ban mass gatherings at religious services. So even with care and caution, in-person congregations can be hotbeds for coronavirus outbreaks as some states begin to reopen public spaces and businesses. So those are the other headlines. All right, we'll be right back with an interview from the host of the Hardy Report podcast, Edward Hardy. So you don't want to miss it. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. Now more than ever during these COVID times, I am trying to focus on nutrition, health, and keeping my immune system as strong as I can. And that's why I want to share with you Ritual. That's the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Uh, Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food. I do intermittent fasting, so I have gaps in my diet. And they do this in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no additives or ingredients that can do more harm than good. Just two easy-to-take capsules, which provide nine nutrients that you need to support a strong foundation for your health. I started taking Ritual a long time ago when we first started having them as a sponsor. I love it. I feel more energy, more clarity. And mentally, I just feel good. Mentally makes me feel better knowing that I'm getting all the vitamins my body needs. Uh, especially now. And Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin, helps fill the gaps in my diet from D3s to omega-3s, and for they have no nausea capsules that you can take on an empty stomach. And there's a mint tab in every bottle, so you don't get that fish taste coming back up, um, which can happen a lot with uh, fish oils, omega-3s. Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. Ritual is delivered directly to you. You can easily start a subscription or snooze it. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month, no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight, and right now Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash dailybeans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash dailybeans. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is UK and US political commentator and host of the biweekly Hardy Report podcast. Please welcome Edward Hardy. Edward, thanks for agreeing to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on the show. Yes, I, I'm so glad to have you. I really wanted to get sort of an outsider's perspective on a few things that, you know, we're steeped in. We're up to our elbows in here in the States. And uh, I wanted to kick it off by getting your thoughts on the recent assault on our inspectors general by the Trump administration. We see these moves. We, you know, here on our podcast, we see these moves. And we've had some former federal prosecutors from, you know, from the United States come and speak on our podcast about how this seems to be obstruction of justice, uh, at least by our own criminal, federal criminal laws. And we were just wondering how you view them and how you think, could it affect the 2020 election if it does at all? Do you think that it would have an impact? There's two real problematic strands here. There's the one that you mentioned when it comes to the obstruction of justice element. What are they trying to hide every time one of these inspectors general is fired? They've been investigating Donald Trump or a Trump ally or something going on in his administration. And as soon as they start to do that, they're removed from their post and replaced by a Trump ally themselves. We're seeing that the most recent one is being replaced by an ambassador who's an ally of Mike Pence. So there's that element, the obstruction of justice, but there's the wider element that shows a pattern of behavior from Donald Trump. And we've seen it since before he was even president, where he avoids any scrutiny or oversight by officials or even the public. And that's gone from the Russia investigation to his tax returns to any investigation run by the House. And this should upset every voter in America, whether you support Trump's policies or you oppose them. You should want to know what's going on. Is he being open and honest? Is he being transparent with you? And that's not happening because he's avoiding all forms of oversight. So there's those two real strands that are deeply, deeply concerning. And this is just another example of that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it started back, I mean, at least, you know, from the point of his election, he's been an asshole for his whole life. But from the from since, you know, we've been closely following it, because I, you know, I never paid attention to the guy. I think I think he was mentioned once on Sex in the City. And I was like, oh, I hate that guy. But since he was elected, we have him firing Comey. Then we have him trying to fire Mueller after Mueller is appointed. Then we have him going after McCabe. Then we have him going after Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Dana Bente, Preet Bharara, U.S. attorney in the Southern District. We have just this whole and and Mueller brought it up in his report specifically. This is a pattern of behavior uh, of trying to remove people who are investigating him and those around him. And then, of course, we've got Bill Barr, who is now his, you know, junkyard dog who is trying to take, you know, basically weaponizing the Department of Justice uh, to go after, not just to alleviate his friends like Flynn and Stone, uh, but to go after his uh, enemies with the Obama gate. So it is definitely a clear pattern of behavior, which, by the way, is part of uh, a legal being able to build a legal case for someone for obstructing justice by by looking at the pattern of behavior and um, the totality of the evidence, as Mueller called it. We have to look at as well what people like Adam Schiff have been saying, that Donald Trump could genuinely face 
prison time or at the very least a criminal investigation if he loses this election, which is probably why he's fighting so, so hard and dirty in some ways. We've seen what Donald Trump Jr. has been accusing Joe Biden of scandalous accusations that have no basis in fact, because he is afraid that if he loses this election, there is a real possibility that once oversight and scrutiny occurs, which a Democratic president would allow into all of the activities of his administration, him and those close to him could face criminal prosecution. And that's why he's fighting like this. That's why he fires anyone who gets close to a whiff of the truth of what he's been up to, because he is afraid of that potential prison sentence that's going to be looming over him this entire election campaign. Yeah. And, and you know, Biden has said uh, just recently when asked when he appeared with Stacey Abrams uh, on CNN, had, had said, I will stand back and let the uh, attorney general, if they want to go after him, I won't pardon him. I'm not going to, you know, do what we did in 2009 when Obama took over to say, let's just look forward and not, you know, let's in the name of unity. They did it with Nixon. And I think those kinds of situations are what got us in this particular bind. But he, you're right. He knows that if he gets reelected, the statute of limitations will will go beyond his his crimes. I mean, unless he keeps criming, um, which which he may do, which is most likely to happen. <laughs> but yeah, even Mueller said in his testimony, he, Mueller didn't say much, but he when Ken Buck asked him, a Republican asked him, oh, are you saying that the president can be prosecuted when he leaves office? Mueller's like, yep, yes, yep. And everybody was like, oh, shit, fuck. We didn't expect you. Were, you were supposed to say no comment. <laughs> I don't think they were expecting that, but it's almost like he's trying to make it very clear to people. Yeah, this is how you get to this point that none of these crimes that he's alleged to have committed during his time in office are going to be punished unless he is voted out of office. It was almost like Robert Mueller was just trying to spell it out as clearly as possible. People. I know, I know. Um, and speaking of the inspectors general, everybody's bringing up the big four uh, that have happened recently. There's the intelligence community, starting with the intelligence community inspector general Atkinson. He's the one who gave the whistleblower report to Congress that ultimately ended up in Trump being impeached forever. And then we have uh, Grimm. She was the Health and Human Services Inspector General, and she put out a report saying that we were tragic, you know, we were severely short, had severe shortages on PPE. He didn't like that. And then we had the Department of Defense Inspector General, who was going to be in charge of overseeing the stimulus money being handed out. And then most recently, Linick, the State Department IG, who was looking into Pompeo and his skirting of Congress to sell Saudi Arabia $8 billion in arms. But Last Friday, the inspector general for the Department of Transportation was also replaced, and no one's talking about that. And we know Mitch McConnell's wife, uh, Elaine Chow, runs the Department of Transportation. She's recently come under a lot of scrutiny for allowing her family businesses or setting it up so her family businesses profit off of Department of Transportation contracts. So, I mean, at what point do people notice that the inspectors general being removed are all investigating Trump allies? And that's the really deeply concerning point that people have to keep focusing on, because as we've seen from Donald Trump, he's tried his best to distract people instantly from the firing of this inspector general on Friday by making an outrageous suggestion that he's taking a drug that has no ability to work on coronavirus and there's no scientific evidence it works. So this is what they do. They act like this in order to protect 
each other, protect the allies, defend those closest to him and those that show loyalty. And that's why they show loyalty to him, because they know if they have his back, like Mitch McConnell has had Donald Trump's back this entire time, that when it comes round to uh, Mitch McConnell's wife or others around him, Donald Trump will have their back. So we know this is what he does. And then he tries to distract from it. And it's something we just have to keep a close eye on and can't allow and it's something the media haven't learned since 2016. We can't allow Donald Trump to just say something outrageous and then, like a dog with a squirrel, our attention is suddenly diverted. We have to stick on this. And people have to look into why that inspector general at the Department of Transportation was fired. The truth behind why the inspector general at the State Department were fired. These are outrageous actions. And these are nonpartisan individuals. Something just to to point out that people often don't realize inspectors general aren't partisan. They sit through numerous administrations, one after the other. They're career civil servants. They look at these investigations to ensure fairness and corruption is weeded out. And they're now being booted out and replaced by allies. This is something that is outrageous. As Jake Tapper pointed out, they're no longer watchdogs. They're going to be lapdogs. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. As is Jake Tapper. And uh, speaking of hydroxychloroquine, I know we shouldn't focus on this, but I, I don't necessarily want to focus on that specifically. I want to focus again on, on what you the point you were making earlier, a larger pattern of behavior from this administration and specifically this president. He has a tendency to lie off the cuff and then go around and create documents to retroactively show that he is correct. The first thing that comes to my mind is Sharpie Gate when he said that the hurricane was going to hit Alabama and the Noah was like no it isn't and then he got took a map out and t- took a Sharpie and said, "Yep, yeah, look, look at I'm I'm retroactively making this tr- it's like a it's like a a retro lie. I don't know. There's got to be a term for it. Something where you, f- where it could, but he basically had his doctor, and I don't know if this was crazy long haired doctor man or uh, candy man, the guy who gives out pills in the White House. I think I think it's a different doctor. Basically, write a letter saying, uh, you know, uh, sort of confirming what Trump said, and he just has this habit of doing that, and and I just see all these, I just imagine the Republicans running around like chickens with their heads cut off, like, fuck, how do we shore this up? He did this in the Mueller investigation. He asked uh, oh, what's his name? McGahn, White House counsel, to go back and create a document saying that he never, or you know, that he never asked him to fire Mueller. Uh, This is something that's truly scary, and why scrutiny is so important. Because whereas in a previous administration, people would have been able to follow the paper trail as and when it happened. And Congress often, when they're holding an investigation, ask the White House to maintain records so that they can be handed over. What the White House is doing now, what the Trump administration is doing now, is it appears making things up to justify things that have already been said, already happened, as you were talking about, retroactive lies, as it were. Whereas there there used to be a paper trail that we were able to follow. And to be fair to the doctor in this instance, the letter that was produced straight after Donald Trump made this claim about hydroxychloroquine, it didn't actually say he's been prescribed it. It also didn't say that he's actually taking it. It was just sort of 
hazy around what was going on and saying that he didn't have coronavirus and, and so on. So it's something that is really concerning for people that he just comes out and, and makes these claims, which there's no evidence, there's no necessarily basis in fact for them. He just says them as a distraction technique. And I think there was a, a journalist at Politico who, who pointed this out, a quote that Donald Trump made during that press conference where he said, quote, I was just waiting to see your eyes light up when I said this, when I announced this. He knew what he was doing. He knew if he said, I'm taking this drug, that we've all said there's no scientific evidence that it works, that we know there are dangerous side effects. And as Nancy Pelosi pointed out, particularly for someone like Donald Trump in his age group and his weight group, that we would all just like deer in a headlight be focused on something else and it's like you can't let the ball drop in these instances and that's what he's hoping that the media does that they just focus on his new distraction the thing his uh, look over there approach when really we just have to keep going this is clearly there's no evidence that it happened let's focus on the thing that did happen which is he fired an inspector general who was investigating the Secretary of State, not on one count, on two counts. So that's what he's doing here. He's just hoping we all forget things and we just can't let him get away with that. Yeah, I'm actually a little mad at Nancy for saying that. Uh, I think she just kept it in the news um, when she did that. And then also, he has 8,000 underlying conditions. Do you have to pick the one that, you know, can make other people feel bad about themselves. I just wish she had she could have said uh, high blood pressure. She could have said heart problems. She could have said stress from criming. She could have used any other example. I just I, I, I think she just got to the end of her tether. And to be fair, if you were Nancy Pelosi and having to deal with these questions on a daily basis, you probably feel as irritated as well. But yeah, I, I, I think she probably shouldn't have gone there. But at the same time, you you know, it, it is a valid concern when you look at the scientific evidence. These these points are related to the side effects. But I, I do take your point. <laughs> I was like, Nancy, Nancy, you're just going to, oh, you're just going to. I'm shocked he's not had a Twitter meltdown about it. I was waiting for him to rage tweet at Nancy Pelosi today and it's just not come. And it, it's kind of like, when is, has he not seen the clip? Did did people hide it from him? Somebody told him, hey, she's just doing it to make you rage tweet, so don't fall for it. Uh, and maybe he listened for once in his life. Either that or they've got him in a, they've got him in, they've got his little hands, his tiny hands in those Elizabethan collar cones that we put on our pets to keep him from licking their stitches so that he can't tweet. That's how I imagine it. I think that's how they stop him tweeting some days. You know, when he goes for like 24 hours without tweeting, someone's just managed to get those on him. <laughs> the, the, the cones of shame. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, for giving me your insights on these uh, stories. Finally, just tell everybody about your podcast. What inspired you to start it and where can people find it? Sure. So it's at the moment, while we're all at home during the coronavirus outbreak you can enjoy the podcast we're doing two episodes a week on a wednesday and a sunday it used to be just on a sunday but right now two episodes a week wednesday and sunday it's available on anchor spotify um and itunes or apple podcast it's called the harder report podcast and it's interviews with political figures activists commentators 
experts in their field. So we've had uh, progressive candidates running for office. We've even had some Republican figures on there giving their take and, and an opposing view. And we've had experts as well. So this week we had uh, Brandon Wolf, who survived the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando several years ago. It's something that's etched in everyone's mind. But he's passionately fought uh, to secure gun safety legislation since that day, and he's dedicated himself to it. On a similar note, we also have Fred Guttenberg recently, again, tragically lost his his daughter in the Parkland school shooting, but has fought uh, passionately for gun safety legislation. And we, um, on a different note, had a, a foreign policy think tank on the show to talk about the issues in foreign policy. So um, it's everything that you could want to know really about what's going on in politics at the moment. But we do these deep dives, these long interviews that give you a real insight into the people behind the interviews. So it's something everyone should check out. The Harder Report podcast, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, anywhere you can get your podcast, really. Uh, and if it's not where you want to get your podcast, they can always find me on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. Let me know. We'll get it up there and they can enjoy it that way. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone host of the Hardy Report podcast. Get it wherever you listen to your podcast. Edward Hardy, thanks again for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a, a, a real pleasure. All right, everybody stick around right after this quick break. We have the good news and quarantine confessions. You don't want to miss it. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by TheZebra.com. Nowadays, everyone's trying to be more frugal, trying to save money and resources. Meanwhile, Americans are overpaying on car insurance by an estimated $21 billion per year, and we're all driving so much less, we should be able to check to adjust our rates. While you're doing that, you might as well see if you can get a better rate from another agency. And But, you know, searching for a better deal can take hours, and you usually get a barrage of unwanted spam calls. You have to talk to pushy salespeople, but not anymore, and that is thanks to TheZebra.com. They make comparing rates safer and easier, and you can save up to $670 a year. TheZebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance comparison site because it's the only place you can compare quotes side-by-side from over 100 providers and choose the best one for you, and it only takes 90 seconds or less. TheZebra.com is an unbiased, independent service that allows you to compare rates from hundreds of providers, including the top companies, all in one place. Plus, they'll never sell your information to the spammers. That means no scummy spam emails, no unwanted calls. You just answer a few quick questions on a simple, fast form, and they find you the best rates and coverage in your state. TechCrunch calls the Zebra Kayak for auto insurance, and Time says the Zebra is your best bet to compare car insurance rates across companies. Not everyone who uses the Zebra will find a lower rate, but those who do save on average $368 per year. And the best part is it's completely free to try. No spam, no risk. I know we could all use that extra cash right about now, so why not check out thezebra.com? How much can you save on car and home insurance? Go today and start saving at thezebra.com slash dailybeans. That's thezebra.com slash dailybeans, spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. All right. And joining me today for the good news block is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Welcome back. Hello. I'm great. Thank you. Excellent. How are you? I am well, same as I was 10 seconds ago when we, <laughs> we last spoke because we're time traveling. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mentioned this at the top of the show. Just really great news. Global emissions are down 17% because nobody is driving right now. And I just, uh, you know, I thought 
that, you know, I thought that was just something worth pointing out because it's, you know, like you said, if we could just do this, we could just shut down. It's like a like a bike to work month, you know, except don't just telework. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or bike. I'm going to buy a bike. I live like right around the corner from you now, too. I, that was one of the things I was excited about because I used to have to drive not too long. But I mean, like in rush hour traffic, it took me at least, you know, probably 30 minutes of my car burning gas. I don't have a hybrid. It's not super fuel efficient. Now I can just grab a bike and pop over to you whenever we're allowed to start recording together and even stuff like that. Just it's a privilege to be able to do that, to be able to live close to your work. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I think I hope that people get energized by this and see that it actually makes a difference. That's a big thing that sucks for people, I think, when they, they think of making lifestyle changes. It's like it's easy to believe, well, I don't know if that really makes a difference. Now we have a direct example of if everybody does it, it makes a huge difference very quickly. Yeah. It, people can't say it won't make a difference. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. What kind of uh, good news stories do we have from our listeners this week? Or this We've day. got lots of good news. Yes, this day. On this day. We have lots of uh, good news and lots of quarantine confessions. Before I begin, though, I wanted you to give I wanted to give you our official uh, instructions on submitting these to us. So we have a whole form now set up for you to submit quarantine confessions and good news. And you can find that link on our pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter. Or you can go to our website and it's linked on the top right corner of our Muller she wrote contact page so either go to our twitter get that pinned tweet or go directly to our page and send them in because they're always fun so starting off with the good news today our first comes from anonymous anonymous says hi ladies thank you so much for delivering the news in ways that make us laugh every day I'm a longtime patron, and my husband and I attended our first virtual happy hour with you ladies last weekend. We had a blast. Thanks for the entertainment. We can't wait for this week's happy hour. My good news, my daughter is almost 10. My ex and I divorced when she was young, and it's been almost six years since he's seen my daughter. In 2014, I met the man she calls dad, and he's fulfilled the role 110%. After so many years, we are finally in a place where my husband is able to adopt my daughter. We know my ex is willing to terminate his parental rights, and we are so excited to finally all share the same last name. I know many years ago I was worried about finding someone that would love her the way she deserved, but I found someone who fulfills so much more. In this crazy world right now, I'm so thankful to have something to look forward to celebrating. Again, thanks for all you do. Keep up the good work. You are very appreciated. Aw. Congratulations to your family. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Happy family day. Totally. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, next up from Patty. Patty says, There have been no new COVID-19 deaths in the San Francisco Bay Area for two straight days. That's the longest stretch with no new deaths since March for the region. That's great. Mm. Did you see that? Uh, did you see Kevin Faulkner sent a letter to Newsom asking if San Diego County could enter into phase three steps? No. Yeah, he sent that letter. Um, I saw it posted on a local business's Instagram today. Hmm. So he's like, yeah saying that we're, you know, practicing protocols well and have all the things in place to do the temperature taking and cleaning and social distancing. And he's saying, basically, give us a chance to be one of the sort of pilot regions to go into phase three. Yeah. Um, if you want to follow the CDC guidelines, you need 42 straight days of a decrease in number of cases. I don't know if it's been long enough to even have that, but Okay. Yeah, I don't think it has just because I think it was only like three weeks ago that I was last listening to um, coverage 
on NPR and it seemed like the daily death count was still going up at that point, but I could fact check myself. But yeah, just an interesting thing I saw today that I had not heard otherwise. Mm. Uh, okay, next up from Eric, pronounced with a short A. Is that... Eric. How do you say a short Eric. A? Eric? Eric? Eric. Cool. I don't know what a short A sounds like. A with that that's long. Eric? No. Ah, Arik. Arik. Arik or is that long? Ah is a short A. A is a long A. So Arik. Beautiful. We got it. We we sounded it out. We did it. Hooked on phonics works for us. Oh God. I um, I beat the resellers at their own game and finally got a Switch at cost. Yay. Animal Crossing Discord, here I come. Fuck yes. These Yay. freaking humans upcharging everybody for these Nintendo Switches. I'm seeing them online for like $600, $700 right now. It's insane. I'm happy for you. That is ridiculous. You. That is ridiculous. I know. I know. And finally from Cynthia Robertson, she says... Uh, I just took him past the Johns Hopkins COVID contact tracing course on Coursera. This online course is well done and easy to understand. It only took me about five hours in total, so I'm ready to help if my state or other states need me. Cool. Rad. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, right? That's really cool. Because I've got the I've got the PhD, but like it's n- it wasn't... I mean, I took epidemiology. I learned about contact tracing, and I learned about public health and mitigation techniques during pandemics and all that shit but uh, they didn't specifically have a course on on you know getting into the weeds on how to contact trace so that sounds really Mm -hmm. like i could add that to my little resume totally yeah check it out curious um that's all of our good news for today and uh, it's time for our final segment quarantine confessions All right, for today's quarantine confessions, first up is from Lauren. Lauren says, confession, I've been having a really hard time trying to work full time and take care of my crawling, climbing one-year-old. There just isn't enough time in the day and I've been getting so stressed out. I started meeting with my therapist virtually to help me find ways to deal and her suggestion was to take some time each day for some me time, something mindless that can help me relax and forget about the craziness in the world. I said that very creepily. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) After... (laughs) For some me time, if you you catch my drift, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. Take two, they're small. (laughs) After trying several things, I still couldn't find anything that helped until I broke out my husband's old Xbox 360. I ordered Grand Theft Auto V, a game I loved to play when I was younger, and it is totally helping. After my son goes to bed, I bust out the game, and for some reason, virtually stealing cars, robbing banks, and shooting bad guys is having a calming effect. Whatever works, I guess. (laughs) Hey, if you can't go to the boxing gym, you know. Yeah. You know, my first introduction to a dildo was uh, on Grand Theft Auto. Oh, (laughs) I was like, where are you going with this? Are you back on the, if you know what I mean, have some me time? I'm like, are you going back to that now? (laughs) No, that's what I wanted you to think, though. And the twist came. But they used to... Good one. (laughs) There was a... (laughs) There, there's like there's a weapon that was a dildo that was on the streets, and you could just like run around and pick up a dildo, and that was your floppy, 
sword. Pick it up <laughs> you and just slap smack people, people with it. Face with a dildo. Yeah, it's great. Like a like super inaccurate javelin situation. Did it? Did it make like a whoopsh sound or like a? <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember. I was like ten, which is great for my forming mind. Or was it like that? Is it like that thunk that those red uh, dodgeball balls sound like when they hit somebody in the head? <laughs> yeah. Doink. You know, yeah. it, like, like a hollow plastic doink. <laughs> yeah, with an echo behind it. Everyone knows that sound. Yes. Doink. Yes, they do. Oh God, reminds me of the dodgeball days. Mm. Hated that shit. Um. Anyways, love that. Sorry for making your whole submission such a creep fest. Uh, <laughs> next up from anonymous. Anonymous says, "I've had a rough few days, including a lot of stress from being at home so much." Losing a friend and another in the ICU in critical condition. Yesterday, I declared fuck it all, went to my favorite ice cream shop, and bought an entire three-gallon tub of their absolutely exquisite Dutch chocolate chip ice cream. I still had a few shreds of self-control left, I guess, because I actually used a scoop rather than just standing at the kitchen counter with three (laughs) gallons of ice cream and a spoon. (laughs) <laughs> reminds me, reminds me of Miranda in Sex in the City when she can't stop eating the chocolate cake, and she throws it in the trash, <laughs> and then she goes and gets it out of the trash and keeps eating it. And so finally, she puts it in the trash and, squ- and like squirts dish soap all over it. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> makes it all toxic to consume. Um, I love that you were able to procure a three-gallon thing of ice cream, and I'm really sorry to hear about your friend. And your other friend that's an ICU, and I hope they get well soon. But you got to do what you got to do to make yourself feel better. And it is absolutely true that ice cream makes you feel nice. So feel nice. Actually, Jordan, I have to tell you that putting disinfectant on your chocolate cake will help cure coronavirus. I think everyone knows that. Ah, Thank you. You're right. I'll do it. I'll do it if you do it. Mm. (laughs) Use Comet instead of powdered sugar. Comet. <laughs> I just imagine someone sifting Comet. <laughs> getting, it, you know the- getting it real fine. The finest <laughs> Comet. Breaking up your Comet with a credit card. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's like, we don't need the Hostess powdered donuts. We have the Comet gems. Thank you. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yes, uh, thoughts to your friends that that are that are in the ICU, and 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 again, con- condolences and sympathies for who you lost. I'm really sorry about that. But thank you for sending yeah. in that confession because that's golden. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, next up from anonymous. During the week on my day off, I have been treating myself to some DoorDash lunch fairly regularly, while also not exactly telling my husband about my habit. Recently, we installed the Ring device, and I truly hadn't remembered it until my husband finally confronted me about my expensive habit, as he had been observing from the app while he was at work. So now I have changed the DoorDash instructions to have them leave it in the driveway, out of sight of the camera. I pretend I am looking in my car as I grab the goods and hide them as I come in with a coat or bag. I can't believe it's come to this, but I refuse to make a sandwich when I have spent all morning getting a four-year-old to trace the alphabet. <laughs> all right, so I feel so, this so hard. So, um, so what excuse did she, did she say? What excuse uh, when her husband asks because he will? Why do you keep going to the car every day? What? I, like, all I see is grab the goods and hide them as I come in with a coat or bag. I I just pretend I'm looking in my car. I guess. 
you're going to have to come up with what you're looking for in your car. Because if it get confronted, you can't be like, well, I think I left a penny in there and I wanted to go get it. Like, you, you're going to have to come up with something. Uh, kicking the tires. Yes. I was just kicking the tires. I was starting. I got it. I got it. I was I, Every once in a while, I like to go out and start the car to make sure that the battery doesn't die. Right. But then you have to explain the bag you're taking back with you into the house. So, right? So I'm feeling like, you know what? You just might have to eat in the car. <laughs> or or uh, put some bags of stuff like disinfectant wipes and toilet paper in the car and just leave them in there. Oh. And then and then when you, you know, bring them back. Oh, I was just grabbing some more toilet paper. Why is there toilet yes. paper? I just left it in the car because, you know, I just didn't want to get clutter around the house or whatever. Yes. One, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. or you could just say you could have a whole bag of quarantine preparedness that will presumably have masks hand sanitizer gloves all the shit you'd want when you go out to the store and then your story can be every time you come back you forget to bring it inside and that Mm. should be yes depending on how often you go out who knows Mm. good luck Mm. (laughs) yeah you just have just have 20 separate single use plastic bags each with one hand sanitizer in them I just need to go get some more hand sanitizer because uh, my hand sanitizer stash is in the car for when we go to the store. Yeah, good luck. And I only can find hand sanitizer in hotel toothpaste size containers. (laughs) You can also always just wear like a really baggy caftan and just sort of, you know, (laughs) train like train your butt cheek muscles to hold the bag and just walk in that way. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because there's no cameras inside the house. You just got to make it past the threshold. (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) I feel you, though. That shit's expensive. It's like an extra $10 at least after tip and delivery fee. So Mm. unless you're like getting a giant order for everybody for like a huge family or something, it's usually not very cost effective. But I also I if I splurge on anything, it's DoorDash and Mm. uh, I get I get how you feel. You got it. Same. Same. Best. Uh, Okay, finally, from Anonymous. Anonymous says, In the spirit of the person in New Zealand who confessed to naming their plants after Trump villains, I admit that I have named three of my chickens, Fiona Hill, Nancy Pelosi, and Greta Thunberg, in honor of three strong badass women. Fiona actually turned out to be a rooster, but that's okay. I live in rural Australia. I salute you from here. I listen to every episode you ladies published. Uh, Thank you for keeping me sane and less alone in these bizarre times. So Fiona started crowing, huh? Fiona (laughs) Fiona started... You're like, uh oh. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's great. Well, that's all of our quarantine confessions, everybody. Uh, thank you for submitting them. And if you want to keep submitting them, please do, first off. And second off, do it by going to our pinned tweet at Daily Beanspot or our website and going to the contact form in the top right corner of the Muller She Wrote page. Yes. And either this week or next, look for Quarantine Confessions Pod. It has got such an overwhelming response. We're starting our own show. It's, it's gonna, getting its own spinoff. So we'll give you more information uh, as that gets closer. But it should be it should be this weekend, maybe, or next weekend latest. So keep an eye out. Very exciting. Love it. Yes. All right. Any final thoughts, Jordan? Not for me. Me neither, other than my typical sign-off, which is everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans.
The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>